Over the last couple of Wednesday nights, we've been talking about angels, and I've entitled these uh, messages, Divine Assistance. And uh, how many of you realize that you have some help from heaven in your life? And it's important that we realize this. Why? Because partly because we realize that we're not alone trying to figure things out on our own. And also, it's just as the Bible says, that, hey, God has never forsaken us. He's never left us alone. And, um, you know, and he sent not just uh, Jesus to be our Savior, not just the Holy Spirit to be our helper. But he even did a step further, and, and the Bible says that we have angels that are even helping us, and, and we'll look at some verses here in a few minutes. And so we've been looking over this over the last couple of weeks, and uh, kind of the one of the verses that we've been uh, kind of looking at and kind of focus on, if you will, comes out of Hebrews chapter uh, 13, the latter part of verse 2. I'm going to read this out of the Amplified Bible. And it says this, um, it says... Uh, do not neglect to extend hospitality to strangers. He says, being friendly and being generous with those. He says, for some of you have entertained angels without even knowing it. You know, it's possible to actually have an encounter with an angel and not be aware of it. And, uh, you know, and that's kind of neat. And I've shared some stories about um, some of these times uh, over the last couple of weeks of just even in my own life and even uh, in some other stories that I do know to be true, uh, where it's no doubt that an angel was at work. You know, and, and even here it says, and so, you know, I, the, then the reason that I highlight that is just be, is for this purpose. Just because you're not aware doesn't mean that God's not moving. Just because you're not aware doesn't mean that you don't have angels around you uh, working in the unseen realm. You know, there are two um, dimensions, if you will, in this life. How many of you realize that? There is a natural realm that we live in. Natural is like a, that I can touch right here, that I can see. You know, and, and even in our, uh, in our own life is that the Bible says that we are a three-part being. We are spirit, soul, and body. You know, you, we actually only see one part of each other. You do realize that, right? With our natural eyes, we see each other naturally in the flesh. And yet the Bible says that this body one day will cease, but yet the real part of me, the eternal part of me, the eternal part of you will live on forever. And that's the spirit realm of us. And so, you know, uh, even when we're talking about angels, what is it? It's the unseen spiritual realm that we don't see in our natural eyes or in our natural mind. You know, and that's the realm in which angels operate. Uh, it, it says in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, specifically about the ministry of angels. You know, I mean, that is uh, one of the names of an angel is that it's a ministering one. It's actually when you go study it, that's one of the, the names and the meanings of an angel. Is, well, what is their purpose? To minister. To who? Well, here it talks about it. In uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Therefore, angels are only servants. They are spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. So the Bible, other translations say it this way, is that they are ministers to the heirs of salvation. So if you're saved, the Bible says there are angels who that, that God has assigned to our care and for our protection and for our help. And so uh, even in the New Testament throughout, uh, really, as we see, because obviously, I mean, how many of you ever read the book of Revelation? How many of you understood the book of Revelation? You don't have to raise your hand because this is what I think. When it happens, we're going to be like, oh, that's what that meant. I had no idea. Uh, many times we don't understand what, but you think about it, what's one of the most common themes throughout the book of Revelation, which is the end of time, the really the work of angels. Everything that God says, angels bring about. 
Uh, you know, and so they are integral throughout Scripture. There's over 300 references to angels and the ministry of angels throughout Scripture. And we're going to look at a few more tonight. Uh, you know, and, and so if Jesus, and even Jesus himself talks about angels, talks about the ministry of angels. But if God made it a theme from Genesis to Revelations, they start the book, they end the book. I think we probably ought to know a little bit about them. And really what their, and their role in our life. And so, uh, here's just a, a couple of facts about angels. Uh, when you look up, uh, in the New Testament, the word angels, uh, actually in the original Greek text, this is what it means. It's a, they are, they are brilliant, spiritual, and angelic beings. They, they, they are real, even though we may not be able to necessarily see them. Now, I know some people who have seen them. I've never actually seen an angel. Maybe you have. I never have. But that doesn't change the existence of their ability or even who they are. But they are spiritual beings. You know, and and the Lord has a purpose. God doesn't create anything without a function. How many of you realize that? How many of you realize that you were created for a function? You realize that? Well, God created angels for a function as well. Some of the attributes that we can see about them is, um, even in scriptures, that they are extraordinarily strong. I mean, when I've shared this uh, in the previous weeks, but one of the common things that you see throughout Scripture, when an angel shows up, the first thing they say is, fear not. Why? Because they're intimidating. They're large. They're not, you know, um, Cupid sitting on a cloud, eating, you know, whatever. They're not little... No, these guys are... They're they're large. They're much bigger than we probably realize. And, um, you know, and so, uh, but one of the things that we also see, even though they can be physically, if you want to say it that way, um, physically intimidating, they always bring comfort and they bring strength. They don't speak on their own accord. They always say, you know, when we see it throughout Scripture, when we, you know, here's my opinion on angels and demons for that matter. Stick to the Bible. Okay? It'll save you a lot of headache. And don't, uh, you know, even though I'm teaching along these lines, I don't want you to be ignorant about them, but I also don't want you to have uh, this, um, how do I say it, uh, wrongful pursuit of seeing them either. Well, I want to see an angel. If one shows up, great. I don't have to go seek them. Why? Because you go seeking that, and guess who? The counterfeit's going to show up. The enemy, the Bible, when we talked about this, I believe it was last week, that the Bible says that even demons can disguise themselves as angels of light. So you go seeking something, you go find something, but it's not going to be what you think. You know, but I don't have to see it to believe or to trust in the reality of Scripture, of what God uh, reveals to us about uh, angels. So this is what we can, what we do know. Uh, about angels is that in scriptures there are several uh, classifications, if you will. You could also say it this way: there are several ranks, uh, and, and they are they have different functions, different purposes. And, and so here's a here's the ones that we see. Number one is a cherubim. Now we're not going to study these in depth, but I am going to look at one of these tonight specifically. Uh, there's a seraphim as well. Uh, you know, and you can see, uh, you know, like I'll give you an example of this. In the Old Testament, uh, when Moses was given the instructions to build the Ark of the Covenant, what did God tell him to do? He said, hey, on the cover, I want two seraphim with their, with their wings stretched out over the middle. Well, that was just a natural um, duplication, if you will, of what was already in heaven. So what does that tell you where seraphim at? They're in the throne room of God. Why? Because they were in the most holy place in the tabernacle. And you're like, well, what's their purpose? The Bible says that they are to... That they, 
consistently. We see this in Isaiah where it talks about that they are surrounding the throne of God. They're part of prayer and of worship and intercession in heaven. The Bible says that they would actually take the prayers of the saints and pour them on the altar of God. And so we see that they have a function even in heaven. When you pray, it's going to an angel. And they're going to bring it to the Father. Anytime that God does something and gives instruction, it comes uh, many times to the work of an angel. And so we see this. Here's another uh, classification, if you will. And this is archangels. Now, we actually, Michael is the only one specifically named this throughout Scripture. Although many people uh, have the belief and, um, you know, hold to that Gabriel as well would be an archangel. And also Lucifer before his fall, um, you know, who obviously after the fall was Satan. But Lucifer was actually an archangel, many people believe. Uh, and really, his assignment was over worship. Now, you know, I won't give you all the details, but it's pretty interesting if you want to go look into this, is that the Bible actually says that when he was in heaven, that he actually uh, had instruments built into his body. So uh, this is the way I like to say it and think of it, is that when he walked and the wind blew, music came out. That he was the chief worship leader in heaven. And that was his responsibility, his role. And, And many people, which I believe as well, hold that he was an archangel. And that simply means one of rank or authority. In other words, you know, think military. You have privates, you got generals. Well, what is the difference? One has rank and one doesn't. You know, and so we see that and we see the work uh, of archangels as well. And you could almost call them this. You could just even say it like this is that they are commanding officers in God's army. You could also think of it that way. Another um, uh, description that we see, this one's primarily in the Old Testament, um, but it's also where they're called watchers. And really that's where we get the word guardian. Uh, and so you can, you know, many of you would say or have heard this is that they're guardian angels. How many of you ever heard the term guardian angels? And, uh, you know, but yet, uh, you know, I, I was reading something and they said that 46% of Americans believe in guard, that they have a guardian angel. Whether they're Christian, not Christian, you know, it doesn't matter. Now, there's a lot of debate about, you know, do only Christians have guardian angels? Does everybody have guardian angels? I can only speak from my own personal experience. I know that God worked and uh, protected me even when I wasn't living for God. So that's the only thing I can tell you, um, you know, and so, um, but, uh, you know, one of the ways that you could also think of this uh, when it, we're talking about a guardian angel is this, is that it's an assigned angel. It's, in other words, you, that there's a, actually that God assigns angels to our watch and to our care and to watch over us and to help us. You know, many times um, we've, you know, some of you have heard and read stories of where, you know, maybe like a, a child gets trapped under a car and the mom runs out there and picks up the car. You know, that's not humanly possible. Well, how do you think those, I mean, how do you explain those kinds of things? It's, there's not enough adrenaline dump in the world. How I many of you understand what I'm saying by adrenaline dump? It defies all logic. It defies all physics. I mean, everything about it is that's impossible. And yet you can go and hear stories of where people have done what we would consider to be superhuman feats. Why? Because, well, they lifted a car. Well, no, they didn't lift a car. They may have been there and they were unaware that an angel was present to help. You know, I saw a, a picture the other day where a guy was in a car. And this was just a crazy picture. And I'm not saying this was the work of an angel, but I don't know how else you explain it either. And he was in a car that had gotten squished between two semi-trucks. And he's standing like this and they're literally like, and he's just standing. And the trucks are just complete. And he's looking. He was... He had a few bumps and bruises. Perfectly fine. Didn't break a bone. 
Now, I don't know how you explain that. Other than, hey, somebody kept that guy from, you know, from being killed. And so, you know, one of the things that I do want to mention just for a moment about this, because I know sometimes people say, well, why would God assign an angel to our care? Uh, one of the characteristics that we, uh, that we see throughout Scripture about Satan is, number one, he's not creative. He can't create anything. He can only imitate. And, um, you know, and just as God has uh, assigned uh, angelic help and support and aid to us, we actually see throughout Scripture that uh, the enemy also assigns spirit beings to us as well. Uh, and many times, in, scripturally speaking, those would actually be called familiar spirits. Um, and they're like, well, what does that mean? That means they're watching us. And they've been watching mankind for a long time. They're, they can get pretty good at predicting. Uh, that's why I say you've got to be careful. Uh, you know, I'm not saying to be afraid, but you have to be careful that even in your pursuit of anything outside of a pursuit of God. Why? Because you might be pursuing to see an angel and then a familiar spirit comes in work and they start telling you about some family history. And you're like, oh, well, that has to be God. No, it doesn't. Just because it, let me say it this way. Just because it's spiritual does not mean it's good. The Bible says that, that when Lucifer fell, a third of the angels were deceived and fell with him. So just because an angel shows up, you might want to find out his address, right? Where are you coming from? You know, I mean, the Bible even says that. Even given prophecy, given a word of, of, uh, from, you know, and you can use this in a lot of ways. But if, you know, even if me, being your pastor, stands up and says, I have a word from God for you. You shouldn't take it hook, line, and sinker without lining it up with scripture and saying does this line up or is pastor crazy because if pastor's crazy you need to throw it out the window and i've had people that have given me words and i knew that ain't the lord that's not from god that that is not what god has for me and you know and even things that just flat were wrong i'm just like "Mm -mm." nope i knew in my heart um, that there was no way. But I've also had times where things were absolutely accurate. And I've had times and experiences where I've seen uh, the Lord work. And so, uh, you know, kind of a scriptural example of this is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 7. Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh, which he said is what? He says it was a messenger. Angels are messengers. That was assigned to him to what? To torment him. Well, that wasn't a good messenger. And if you read it the way it got translated, it's really not very accurate because it makes it sound like that God sent an evil, uh, uh, really a, a demonic spirit to what? To keep Paul humble. Totally off the subject, but let me just address a, a big theological misunderstanding. God will not make you humble. Won't do it. Not scripturally speaking now. You can hold to your theology, but it ain't scriptural. Why? Because the Bible says we have to submit ourselves. It says humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. It doesn't say you better watch out. God's got a list and he's checking it and he's going to come get you. That's not, I mean, God is not schizophrenic. He can't be good and evil. The Bible says he is good and he does that which is only good. And so we have to know that even when we're talking about this. And, And so, you know, but I think it's interesting that even the devil knew Thousands of years ago that God had assigned angels to the care of us. And he said, I need to counterfeit that. And the problem is is that many of us live lives that are completely oblivious to this unseen realm. And we just think, man, this is the worst week of my life. This day couldn't get any worse. And we just think it's a bad day having no thought 
that there are spirits at work. That a thought comes out of the blue and you're thinking, where in the world did that come from? There are spirits at work. You know, and I don't, you know, I want to, don't want to focus on um, the demonic, but it is an area that we have to be aware of. Why? Because just as there are good, godly, holy angels that are uh, spirit beings that are sent from God to help us, there are also spirit beings that have now fallen that are what? They are not interested in our good. Their ultimate job is this, it's John 10.10, is to steal, to kill, and to destroy what? The work of God in our lives. That's what they're after. They're, they're At all levels, they want to destroy it. And so tonight, what I want to do is take a few minutes here. And I want to just share with you about uh, guardian angels. Uh, because I know that many times people, I believe, have a, would say, Well, I believe in guardian angels. Okay, well, what do you believe about them? Uh, why do you believe in them? Like, where is that in the... Where is that in, give me an example in Scripture. Um, you know, because unfortunately, look, and we all have these things, me included... That, you know, I mean, I'll give you an example of this. I had somebody here a while back. This is totally unrelated, but it's just a funny thing. Somebody asked me, they said, why do we clap when we receive the offering? And you know what my response was? Uh, well, um, the Bible says be a, a cheerful giver. And, but I really got to thinking about it. And I said, well, you know, this church does it. The church I went to before this and was a part of the staff for seven years, we did it there. The church I was a part of for 20-something years before that, we did it there too. So I don't really know. I mean, I know what I would say. But it's really more the form. But I can't pinpoint and say, well, this is where and why we do this. It's just something that has kind of been passed down, right? Well, we all have theology. Which, what is theology? It's your belief about God. That's what theology is. Good or bad, your theology is your belief about God and devil and, and the spirit realm. That's your theology. Now, you can have jacked up theology too, and so can I. And sometimes we have things like what I just talked about that are passed down, that we just believe, but we really don't know why. And when somebody asks you why, there's like, um, um, I don't know, I just believe in it. And that's okay if you recognize that. It's not okay to stay there. We need to learn and to understand in the revelation of what we get from Scripture about what God is doing. Because for one, when we understand what God is doing, it gives us confidence about what He's doing. And it also helps us to even know how to pray. It helps us to know how to believe. It even uh, And, you know, it's kind of like when you think about, um, you know, I was reading something the other day, and, and I've heard this many times, that they talk about money. And they're like, you know, anybody who works in a bank, they don't show them 15 different kinds of counterfeit and say, hey, look for all these. They show them the real thing, and they get to know the real thing so well that what a counterfeit is immediately recognized and, and known. So when you know the real thing, the counterfeit is obvious. So, you know, so many times I think we can spend so much time like, oh, well, I don't know what the devil's doing and he's out to get me. Look. God is on your side. The Bible says that greater is he on the inside of you than he that's in the world. A third of the angels fell. We still got two-thirds. So 66% is still better than 33%. Not to mention our angels are stronger and God's backing them. So I think we've got an advantage. I'm pretty, pretty certain that God wins. I've read the end of the book. He wins. I know how the story ends. 
And so, you know, I mean, and, and so even as we're be- praying and believing God, you know, and so um, I'll say this, we don't want to... Um, and I shared to gave this example is that like, you know, like with UPS or the Postal Service or FedEx or somebody shows up to bring me a package. I don't just fall out because somebody did their job. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. No, it was my package that you brought to me. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm nice to them. I appreciate what they do, but I don't have to exalt. They didn't make what they brought me. Like they didn't make it at home and deliver it to my house. I mean, if they were bringing me a cake that they had made at home, that might be a different stuff. But no, these people are just delivering. Well, that's what they are. They are servants sent by God for what? To minister to us as believers. Well, minister what? The plans, the purpose, and the will of God in our life. They'll bring healing. They'll bring provision. They'll bring wisdom. And so, uh, really, the main verse that we see uh, from the New Testament where we see uh, guardian angels and where many people uh, kind of pull this, uh, this belief, if you will, from is this. Uh, Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 18 and in verse 10. He says, beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones. He says, for I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly father. Now, this statement that Jesus makes already contradicts what many of us hold to be true. And I'm going to explain this here in a minute about... because. All right, how many of you, a little bit, show of hands. How many of you believe that your guardian angel is with you? How, let me, all right, let me ask another, let say it another way. What good is a guardian who's way off somewhere else? I mean, you know, if all of our police officers hopped in their squad car and decided to go tailgate at LSU, <laughs> it ain't even football season. Still got it in. But what good are they down there? They're no good. Because why? We need them here, right? So, you can ask the question. Well, Jesus said, though, that all of... He's talking about these little children. He says all of their angels. Now, it's interesting that he says their angels. Remember that where we talked about guarding? Is that word being assigned? Jesus actually said they have certain angels that are assigned to them. And he says they're always in the presence... Of my heavenly father. Now uh, really um, kind of more accurately stated. This is how, um, how that should. Un- how we should understand it is this. Is that heaven here isn't referring to the actual location. As much as it is to the realm of the spirit. And so it's not that they are sitting in heaven. But they are keenly very aware of what God is doing. And, and what God wants to do and bring about in our lives. And so um, you can also say it this way, is that they're in tune with the Father and His desires for us. So even when we're talking about angels and looking at this, uh, you know, we can have that understanding is that, you know, they are with us. You may never see them, but I don't have to see it to believe it. I, I, you know, when I got saved, I didn't get a little certificate in the mail that says, congratulations, you're going to heaven. Here's your gold star. Well, how do I know that I'm saved? By faith. I mean, I didn't just, I mean, other than something that happened on the inside of me, I didn't wake up looking different. I didn't get better looking when I got saved. I didn't get worse looking. I just looked the same. So even in the, on the external, I can't see anything. It's still by faith that I believe that I'm saved. It's by faith that we receive everything from God. But it doesn't change the reality of what God does. 
I believe that God is, not because I've seen Him. I've seen the effects of God, and I've seen what He can do in my life, and and I've experienced His presence, but I've still never seen Him. So it's by faith. Well, the same is true even with angels. I don't have to see them to believe them. And you, you could also take it and look at it from this standpoint, is I believe God, I believe His Word, and He said that I have angels who have been assigned into my life. That's all I need to know. I don't need to know, like, what does he look like? How tall is he? How much would he weigh? It's kind of irrelevant. Is he here? That's all I really care about. Right? And so it's important for us to know this. Now, Webster's Dictionary defines guardian as this. It says, one who has care of a person or property of another. They're a protector. Uh, It says in there specifically to protect from danger or to preserve. You know, there, and and we've all had moments and times where we get overwhelmed, right? Anybody in here never been overwhelmed? Never, just, I never. Well, what happens when we begin to, and I shared this, really, I think it was in the first week, is that many times I believe that we just attribute the work of God to the Holy Spirit. We just say, well, God's working, that's the Holy Spirit doing that in my life. Well, scripturally, we see that angels are busy in the life of believers. I mean, we looked at this, Cornelius, an angel shows up and says, hey, you call for Peter. He's got, he needs to tell you about salvation. The angel could have just said, you know, preach the gospel, but angels don't preach the gospel, men do. But yet an angel appears and says, Cornelius, your prayers and your giving have come up before God as a memorial. Call for Peter. He's got the, what you're seeking. He's got the answer for you. Well, we, you know, I would think in our mind, and, and I'm more just wanting to challenge your thought a little bit in this manner, is that even in those moments, many times what we see and would say, well, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. That was actually the delivery of, a, of an angel bringing you wisdom, even though you're totally unaware of it. You know, sometimes I'll get a package at my door and I'm not home when it comes, but it's still there, right? Well, I didn't see the truck. But I see that, hey, there's something here. So just because I may not be aware or even perceive that, uh, that I've really had angelic support or help or aid doesn't change the reality that something uh, supernatural has happened. And, and so I want to give you a couple of examples here uh, in Scripture of this. And so the first one comes out of Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Now, many of you uh, have at least somewhat familiar with the story. If you went to kids' church at all, I'm sure you've heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den. So we're not going to read it. And if you grew up in church, you probably sang songs about this particular story. Probably had some flannel graphs. Anybody know what flannel graphs are? It's a little little thing you'd stick on a piece of felt and they'd stick little images of people. You're like, oh, wait, I do know what that is. Didn't know what it was called. So we're not going to read the whole story. But the, 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 um, the short of the story is this, just in case. If you're unfamiliar with the story is this. Is that Daniel was a righteous man. The Bible says that he prayed and he had some people who strongly disliked him. And they thought, well, how can we get Daniel to trip up? And they said, the only way we can do it is to try to get between him and God. Because he's so righteous, we know that he won't. Step away. And so there was a decree or a law given that said, hey, you can't pray to anybody other than the king. you got to pray and worship and so many times a day. Well, that didn't change Daniel's day-to-day life. 
Daniel kept praying three times a day like he always did. And so they caught him. And the decree was this, and it was law, and it was binding. Now, the king really had a great affection for Daniel and really cared for him. But he knew he'd sign it into law. Well, you can't overturn laws just because you like somebody, right? So the king, and the punishment for breaking the law was this, was that you would have to be thrown into the lion's den. You know, and so the story goes is that Daniel gets thrown in there. All night long, they close it up. He's in there uh, with uh, some lions. And so the next morning, the king comes running out and wants to know. And he's screaming, Daniel, are you in there? And I think this is interesting, too, sitting. Uh, I, I just like the way that, that the king says it. It says that when the king got there, he yelled out and says, Daniel, servant of the living God. Daniel's life was a witness that God was real, even to the king. And it says, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? Which tells you how this story normally ended. This was not a pretty scene probably the next morning. Daniel answers and says, long live the king. Verse 22 says, my God sent an angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight. And I have uh, not wronged you, your majesty. Says the king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted um, from the den, and not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. See now, here's something that I find interesting about this. Even and we understand this scripturally from the New Testament, what Daniel's enemies had intended for harm, God turned it into good for him. Even in that moment, Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den for one purpose. To be killed. There's no other reason. And yet Daniel wakes up quite refreshed. Probably slept with some big felines that night. Why? And it wasn't because the big kitty cats weren't hungry. (laughs) Quite the opposite. Because what? The people who really had set up Daniel got thrown in there. And the Bible says they were ripped to shreds in a moment. The cats were hungry. But yet they weren't able to even um, do what they wanted. Why? Because there was an angel holding their mouth shut. You can go lay down and take a nap, kitty. No dinner tonight. Just wait till morning. That's actually, I mean, because that's exactly what happened. It says, my God sent an angel. Daniel, that must have actually, I mean, it doesn't say if he saw him, but Daniel was aware of the work of an angel. And he said, my God sent an angel to what? To protect me. And that's one of the things that we've been looking at over these. You know, one of the primary roles is that angels in our life is to protect, to help us. One of the roles of a guardian angel is to protect us from disaster and danger. And sometimes, you know, I don't believe that we have any idea of it. I shared some stories with you a few weeks ago. Um, You know, just some experiences that I've had in my life uh, where I know that God was working on my behalf. You know, and many times we pray uh, even over our life. And, you know, Lord, I just thank you that, uh, you know, you give your angels charge over my life. That even as we travel that we're safe. And, you know, but sometimes your prayer gets answered in that way. Because danger happens. And you know, we should have been in the ditch. I was talking to a guy the other day. And he was telling me about, he was he actually lives closer to Magnolia. and uh, But he works here. And he was telling me that he was driving one day coming to work. Over here, and um, 
basically hydroplane. He was passing somebody with hydroplane, car spun around. He hit the ditch, and when the guy in the wrecker came, he said, there's no way that your car should be sitting right here. He said, your car should have went that way into those woods. He said, and you should be dead. And the guy says, I know. And he said he knew it. You know, and even, well, how do you explain those kinds of circumstances? It's supernatural protection. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, an angel is big enough to move a car that is spinning out of control. That violates law. It violates, you know, momentum. It violates science. It violates so many things. But it... I mean, I was reading a story. I have this book. It's called The Truth About Angels. I think, I think we have it out there in the book note. If not, you can get it on Amazon. But he actually tells a story. He was in uh, the Eastern European area. And he said he was on a train riding. And, a, you know, it was like an 18-hour deal. And he had a, a sleeping deal. And he said that an angel actually came into the cart and tapped him and said, sit up against the wall. Within just a moment, just a few moments, they actually had a head-on train wreck. And he said if he wouldn't have been sitting against the wall, the way that where the angel had told him, um, that, uh, that he would have been badly hurt. But because he was already pressed up against the wall, he really didn't. And so he jumps out to try to help people, right? And so he starts running. Well, this is Eastern Europe, and this was a number of years ago now, uh, you know, kind of more in the Cold War era. And so he's running in the dark trying to help people, and all of a sudden, another, because no one speaks English, uh, he's actually a Canadian man, and uh, all of a sudden, somebody calls out to him and says, hey, do you speak English? Well, of course, he stops. And he said, as soon as he stopped, all these lights came on him, and uh, all these guys with guns were pointed at him. And if he would have, and they were basically saying, return to your cabin, do not advance any further. And he says, if I would have kept going, they would have shot me because they thought it was a terrorist thing. And, and so that, they thought that's what was going on. And he talked about how that the man, as soon as he said, you know, had helped him, was gone. He said, I saw him for a moment and then he was just not there. He said, no one else spoke English around there. He's the only one. You know, and, and so, you know, we don't have to be afraid uh, of angels quite the, the opposite. It should bring us comfort knowing that just as Daniel experienced here, that, hey, that there is comfort and there is protection when angels are with us. Well, how do I have my angels with me? I need to walk in the wisdom and the light of Scripture. I need to live in a way that God would have for me. Now, that doesn't affect their ability to minister or to work. But, hey, I want to live right. Why? Because they're ministers to the heirs of salvation. You know, and, and I want to live in a way that would honor God. And, and so... Uh, we see this here even in the life of Daniel where there are angels that w- were sent just to protect him in that moment. Uh, in Daniel chapter 10, we see where an angel brought a, a word to him, an information to him that he needed for his life. And that could happen for us. Over in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, we see an example of the prophet Elijah. And uh, so Elisha, let me give you the backstory of this. In 1 Kings chapter 17... Elisha has this epic showdown with the prophets of Baal, 450 guys, and they're all calling out to Baal, and they said, hey, whoever's God answers by fire and consumes all the sacrifices, that that one is who's going to be God. That's who we're going to declare as God. So he comes off of the, and it happens, and Elisha, he's the prophet, he's the man of God, the one, versus all these 450, you know, it's kind of a funny story. I I find it humorous because Elisha was obviously a heckler. And I kind of find that funny. And so uh, you can go read the story in uh, chapter 17. But verse 18, all of a sudden, because of what happened in chapter 17, the queen is not very happy. 
And so she decides to put out a death warrant on Elisha. Her name was Jezebel. And uh, you can actually read about a Jezebel spirit even all the way through to Revelation. Uh, and there's a spirit that this lady was being propelled by. Remember, you know, even, even Paul wrote and said, look, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There was a spirit that was motivating this lady for what? To overcome Elisha and to kill him. Now, this is a crazy thought for you. I mean, just think about this practically speaking. Elisha was a man of God, saw just amazing miracles, just you name it. I mean, just feats that are just amazing. He has this amazing showdown on Mount Carmel, chapter 17. King Ahab gets home and tells the queen, Jezebel, everything that Elisha does. And so Jezebel sent this message to Elijah in the beginning of, I'm sorry, chapter 19. And it says, may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I will not kill you just as you have killed those prophets of Baal. So have you ever had one of those moments where, for lack of a better term, that you're on a spiritual high and you're like, God's amazing, God's awesome. And in a moment, it's like somebody just came and pops your balloon. It even happens to the prophets of old. We're not that different from them. Why? Because we read in verse 3, Elijah was afraid. The same guy that just defeated 450 prophets in an all-day standoff is afraid because one lady sent him a hate message. One lady. And all of a sudden, his spiritual... Motivation and steam and and energy is just gone in a moment. It says, Elisha was afraid and fled for his life. Why is Elijah running? Is, Is she any different than just the day before? I mean, did God change? Did God take a vacation? Like, why is he all of a sudden changing his mind? Because you go read in chapter 17... He was very bold, instigating them, talking trash about their God. Scream a little louder. Maybe he's on the toilet. Maybe he's taking a nap. I mean, that's kind of some of the things he's saying. That's kind of why I like this story. He starts heckling them. But in this moment, all of a sudden, he's lost all that confidence in a moment. It says that he fled for his life. In verse 4 it says, He went on alone in the wilderness traveling all the day. It says he sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. Just so you know, in case you don't catch it, Elisha is depressed. Even the prophets of God dealt with depression. They had to deal with their thoughts. Why? Because they were people. These weren't spiritual people. Giants that we can't understand. James says quite clearly, Elisha was a man just like we are, with passions and inclinations just like we are, and yet he prayed and it rained. Or it didn't rain, and then he prayed and it did rain. He was flesh just like us. He was a man. And in this moment, he goes from top man on the totem pole to now, God, just kill me. In a moment. That's pretty low, by the way. 
I mean, I've been low and I've been depressed. I've never asked God to take me. So I can't say that I understand that prayer. Goes on and Elisha says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. And so what do you do when you're depressed? You go to sleep. That's what he does. Says he lays down and he slept under the broom tree. So here's Elisha, this great prophet, running from the running from this lady, the queen. He's depressed, says, God, just kill me. I'm gonna lay down, I'm gonna take a nap. I hope I don't wake up. I'm not taking any that's that's what scripture says. But I think this is interesting. Even in his lowest moment, guess who shows up? It says, but as he was sleeping, an angel touches him. An angel touches the man of God in a moment and things begin to change. I love this. The angel says, get up and eat. <laughs> there is an exclamation point there, by the way. So he's not like, Psst, hey, could you wake up? This is the way I see it, is that the angel walks up and it says that he touched him. I believe he touched him with his foot. Mm, And kicks him. Get up and eat. You know, I mean, that's the way I see this playing out in my head. Verse 6, it says, He looked around and there beside his head was some bread on some hot stones and a jar of water. Now, this is just a thought, but where is he? Where's Elijah at? Where did he run to? The wilderness. Where do you get hot bread and a cup of water in the wilderness? Just a thought. Like, where did you come from? Says he looked around, sees the bread. It says, so he ate and he drank and he laid down again. I, mean, I don't think most people actually see the humanity in this moment. Elisha is so overwhelmed that even supernatural bread and supernatural drink, he is still exhausted. All he can do is lay down. That's a different message, but. It says, then the angel of the Lord comes again and touched him and says, Get up and eat some more. Or the journey ahead will be too much for you. What's this angel saying to Elijah in this moment? Elisha, God is not finished with you yet. You asked to die and God said no. I'm here to tell you no. That's why I came. Here's some dinner. You need to eat some more. You need to drink some more. Why? Because God still wants to use you. Now, in our minds, we would say, well, because of Elijah's mentality, because of his thought, he stepped away from the faith. He's backed away. He's, he's pulling back. And yet God sends an angel in the midst of that moment and says, no, Elijah, this isn't the end. And no, this is not how this is going to end. And it's an angel who shows up with the answer. Now, I want, to, I want you to see the effects of, this, of what the angel brought. Now, what happens is not, uh, let me say it this way, it's not because of what the angel did, but he was the one who brought it. 
says so in verse 8, it says, So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to... Now, I think it's interesting. I'm always stuck on words. But it says he gave him enough strength. So enough sounds like just enough. Like, I got enough to eat. You know, like when you're at that moment and you're eating dinner and you're like, I've had enough. And that's probably like five minutes too late because you should have stopped five minutes before. Because now you're starting to hurt a little bit and you're like, I've had enough. And then the pie comes. You're like, no, I've had enough of that, but I'm going to have some of that. It says the food gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights. This was some supernatural food. It says that he traveled for 40 days, 40 nights to the mountain of God. And it says um, he came to a cave and there he spent the night. And this is what happens. The Lord starts talking to him that night. But how many of you realize Elisha never makes it to the cave to meet with God without the assistance of an angel? Now, we don't specifically see really in either one of these examples that this is specifically a guardian angel. But by characteristics, what did they do? They protected, they provided, they watched over, they cared for. That all sounds like a guardian to me. It doesn't tell us specifically that that's what they are. By characteristics, I'm not saying they are. My assumption is they probably were their assigned angels to care for them. Now think about this. When Elisha was alone, his angel was still with him. Even when you're alone, you're not alone. You have angels who have been assigned to your care. To watch over, to care for, to provide what you need in every moment and in every situation. Even to the point where you're praying the prayer that says, God, just kill me. Your angel's still standing there. Still ready to work, still ready to bring about God's desire in your life and in your heart. See, the, the Bible says that angels are what? They are brought and, and they're sent for what purpose? To care for us as believers. That's what the Bible says, that, that we have angels and the, 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 that divine assistance in our life. That just like it happened with, with Daniel, that hey, even when the enemy comes to do evil, we have divine protection. Divine protection. Even when our enemies want to do evil to us, God will provide a way. Always. Why? Because we have help. We're not left alone. Now, we've shared this verse almost every week, but I'm going to read it again just because it's worth sharing. Psalms 91, verse 10 and 11. Well, 10, 11, and 12, actually. Well, I'll just start in verse 9. Get the whole thought. 9 through verse 12. It says, If you make the Lord your refuge and uh, and the Most High your shelter. So there are two ifs there. So this is why I said this earlier. I made this statement earlier about... um, Walking in, in, in understanding and walking in light of Scripture. So, angels may always be with you, but we can handcuff them. We can tie them down where they can't work for us and do what they're actually sent to do. So it says, if you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter. So if, that, that means we got to do our part. Number uh, um, Verse 10, 
It says, if we do our part, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. For he will uh, order his angels to protect you wherever you go. It says, they will hold you up in their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot upon a stone. If we do our part, no evil will conquer us. We have divine assistance. No sickness, no plague can come into our home. Why? Because we have divine protection. We have the angels that are at work in our life and in our families and in our homes. He says they'll protect you wherever you go. Wherever you go, you'll be protected. Psalms 34, 7 says, For the angel of the Lord is a guard who surrounds and defends all who fear the Lord. The angel of the Lord is a guard, and he surrounds and defends all who fear the Lord. I love in verse 8, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now think about that in light of Elisha. The angel of the Lord guards and defends. Now taste and see. Here's some bread and some water. Taste and see that that God is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him. Now, as I wrap this up, I want to share a story that I was reading. And I thought this was pretty neat because I've actually been to the place, uh, to the particular place in the Philippines where this had happened. And um, I was reading, though, about, um, really about angels and just reading some stories. I've I've got a book that just is kind of like, I don't know what you would call it, but kind of like angelic encounters, people's stories. And I came across one that was kind of... Sparked my interest because I've actually been to this area. And uh, there was a man who went to the Philippine Islands. And he was praying and kind of asking the Lord's direction uh, for his life. And so he actually went to one of the Philippine Islands called Mindanao. uh, Which me and Darren took some teenagers to uh, a number of years ago. And um, so anyhow, so it kind of just caught my attention because I recognized the name. And uh, so the man, it says, uh, the way the story went is that he was um, walking to go pray. And he was really just seeking the Lord about where he should go and what he should do. He felt called to be a missionary, didn't know where, didn't really know any details. I don't really know how he got to the Philippines, but he was there. And it says, um, and, and this was this man's account of what had happened. Um, and so he started walking and praying. And he was going to walk up on top of a mountain, you know, because you always pray better in the mountains. All right, because you're closer to heaven and, you know, that, that line is quicker. And especially if they're covered in snow, God's really there then. And, uh, you know, it's even better. And, uh, but so this man's walking up a mountain. Well, he had no idea, but there were actual local tribesmen who were following him. They were headhunters. They were cannibals. They were looking for dinner. And now this was, you know, more than 50 years ago at this point. Um, but he was walking... And so he prays, has a great afternoon, has no idea, completely oblivious. Well, eventually, you know, and even te- during that time, that man feels, feels called to that particular island. Now, I want you to see how this works. The man goes and prays and says, Lord, is this where you've called me to? The Lord says, yes. He ends up starting a ministry that touches over a million people on that island in, in his lifetime. Well, eventually... Word got out, and he got to meet those headhunters. They had actually, I believe from what I understood, from what I read about it, they had actually received Christ at this point. And they were recounting this story about this man. And they said, we were following him to kill him. And they're like, but the problem was he was never alone, and there was somebody very big with him. And so we were afraid to get close. Now, the man had no idea. 
When they told him about it, he had no idea, no clue. Well, who was that other person? I mean, you know, and we see that. And I believe those things happen. I mean, and I've made this statement, but I want to say it again. If Jesus himself needed the ministry of angels, I think we do. Let me say it another way. Jesus couldn't do his calling without the ministry of angels. He walked into the Garden of Gethsemane one way. He walked out completely different. Why? Because an angel showed up. And it's not so much that an angel showed up. It's what they brought with them that makes the difference. Jesus came in again. I mean, the Bible, you know, this might really bother your theology, but it's okay. God's okay. God can handle it. You know, Jesus was touched with depression. I touched on this earlier. I don't really know why, but there you go. Why? Well, how do you know that? Well, the Bible says he was greatly distressed. To the point where it says that he prayed and, and sweat like great drops of blood. He was greatly distressed. The Bible, and you're like, well, I don't believe that. Jesus was never depressed. Then how could the Bible be true when it says he was tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin? It says all sin and all iniquity and all of the weight of sin was laid upon Christ. I mean, Jesus knew isolation that we don't even know about. Why? Because he cried out on the cross and says, My Father, why have you forsaken me? He didn't say that when the disciples ran. I mean, I'm sure it hurt. But it didn't matter greatly. But when his father separated from him, he knew that separation. And yet we see even, I mean, even the, the, the criminals that were on the cross... One of them, one of the accusations is, hey, if you're really the son of God, why don't you call a legion of angels down? You know, Jesus could have. It wouldn't even have been a temptation if he couldn't have. But it was absolutely within his authority to say, I want a legion of 12,000 angels to come and get me. And we're going to circumvent this joker and I'm going back to heaven. But he didn't. But yet we see multiple times where angels worked and accompanied it, even in the ministry of Jesus. If Jesus needed the ministry of angels, so do we. And you have some. You have some that have been assigned to your assistance and to your help. Amen. Now, we're not praying to angels. We're not trying to get them to do anything. They are servants. Yes. They are created beings. But they are created for a purpose. And that purpose is for what? To be ministers to us, the heirs of salvation. And so, no, you do have divine assistance. You're not left alone, even in your lowest moments, even when you mentally feel overwhelmed. Stand on the Word of God. I've been sharing this every week. You stand on the Word of God, you declare the Word of God, and what begins to happen? They're going to begin to bring some answers. They're going to bring, just as it happened with Elisha, even in those moments where you may be over, they're going to bring you that bread of life, which we know from Scripture is Christ, but they're going to bring you what you need. They're going to bring you comfort. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that I've prayed and instantly the peace of God comes. I mean, here's just an interesting thought. I've heard people say this. It sounds really cool, so I'm going to say it. Peace isn't something, it's someone. I mean, that is, I mean, the prince of peace is Christ. Well, how does peace come? Because angels bring it to us. So we're never alone and we're never left to ourselves. We're not trying to just figure stuff out on our own. We have divine assistance we have angels that god has assigned to protect us to watch over us uh, to bring what we need in our life 
And so as we seek the Lord, as we stand on the word of God, they're listening. Psalms 103 says they hearken or they run to the command of God. When we begin to declare the word of God, what are we doing? It's like the dinner bell to a hungry angel. They're coming. Why? Because that's their responsibility. That's their job in our life. That's their role. That's their function. And so just know, it doesn't matter on your best day, your worst day. They're there with you. You're not alone. You're not as, let me say it this way. You're not as isolated as you may feel. You have help. You've got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. You've got angelic ability on the outside of you. So how can you fail? How can you be overrun? How can you be overtaken? The Bible says, it gives us the example that, that we actually have help in the front and in the back. I've got a front guard. I've got a rear guard. I've got an angel to protect me who's watching all the way around me at all times. And when I stand and I trust in the Lord and I stand upon his word, I have no reason to fear. 